0: The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 192nd episode, our guest is Dan West. Dan West is a veteran with a story to tell. After deployment injuries prematurely ended his time in the Army, Dan began traveling the country with a message of overcoming adversity through humor. Dan is a featured writer for drinkingwithpaul.com and has been seen at Gilda's Laugh Fest and Indiana Comic-Con. Dan loves kittens, whiskey, and long walks on the beach provided that walk involves either kittens or whiskey. And now on to the show. So thank you for
1: taking the time tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, uh, I always like, I like doing stuff like this and um, I've been hearing about your podcast for quite a while um, over the years, so I was excited. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great.
0: I, I'm glad you reached out. It's, it's nice to know that somebody uh listens when I (laughs) when I do something. Uh there's there's no telling sometimes it feels like, but that's uh that's good. Excellent. Thank you. Um so yeah, uh go ahead and I guess uh introduce yourself for people who don't know
1: who you are. Uh well I am Dan West. I am currently a Kokomo based comedian, but I've lived a little bit of everywhere and um When the world's not on fire, I'm on the road a lot, but right now it's a lot of virtual shows. Right, right. Um, But where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Kokomo or are you from, where are you from? Uh, I am originally from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Okay. Well, that's where I call home. I moved a bunch as a kid, but Champaign's where I call home. That's where I went to high school. That's where I sort of became an adult. And from there I joined the army and traveled to exotic uncomfortable places and after that i lived in california for about five years oh yeah we're in california uh, i was in the bay area uh oh yeah we're in the bay area i lived between oakland and berkeley most of my time there but i worked in san francisco because they pay a little bit better interesting okay i lived in
0: uh ukiah in mendocino county uh, north of there so it's a pretty area yes yeah i agree um anyway go on what were
1: you <laughs> said you uh, well were in, uh, I, California I for moved while. I moved to Kokomo for a job and then mm-hmm. the job fell through and I stayed mm-hmm. for a girl and then that also fell through so now I'm in college as a an almost 36 year old undergrad and that's that's why I'm here still cool Sounds like a Credence song. <laughs>
0: <It> could be, <laughs> um, but that's uh, that's cool, man. Yeah, I like Kokomo a lot. I've, as you know, I worked there for uh, almost six years, so I, I'm very familiar with Kokomo, and it's it's a great city. It's got a lot going for it, so it's it's a cool place uh, to be.
1: Yeah, I've been um, here for uh, for almost seven years now, and it's it gets a bad rep from a lot of the locals, but. Most of the people that complain about Kokomo have just never been anywhere else. And like, right, exactly. Logan's Force doesn't places. count. Yeah, there's worse places than Kokomo, believe me. I've been there. Oh my gosh, yeah. like There's so many <laughs> worse places. This is this is a decent place to raise a family. The cost of living is super low. Uh, more businesses are moving in to do more things. Uh, so it's, it's always getting better. And it was never as bad as people tried to complain that it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's the f- Believe me, I used to administrate the Kokomo Tribune social media profiles for years, and <laughs> I, I'm very familiar with the complaints, so don't worry. <laughs> I've heard and them also, all. Also,
1: <laughs> you're allowed to leave. Like, if you don't have kids and you hate it here that much, go. Like, It's right. not that hard. I moved across the country to manage a comedy club that lasted for six months. It's not mm-hmm. hard to leave. Right, right. Definitely.
0: Well— uh, well, there's a lot there I want to, I want to touch on, but, um, going back to, uh, <laughs> let's see, Champagne, let's, let's talk about Champagne a little bit. Cause I've been there. Uh, I covered Ebert Fest, uh, oh, for yeah. two years. Ebert Fest is great. So that was cool. Wow. And I liked, uh, the college, uh, there, that was a cool place to visit. And I, it seemed like a cool place to, it reminded me a lot of Bloomington, uh, which is where I went to uh, college and was born. Awesome. So I'm, it, you know, it just reminded me of that like small town college Midwest you know uh, feel which which I like a lot. But um, yeah, what was your uh, time like there? And did you have the seed of wanting to be a
1: comedian at that point, or was that later on? Uh, well, I I moved to Champaign when I was fourteen and I left when I was nineteen. Okay. Uh, when I joined the army, so I definitely I enjoyed entertaining. Um, I was captain of the speech team in high school because I was just a really cool guy. Um, And I I definitely joked around a lot. I wrote for the school paper um, and my articles were not the best as far as journalism goes, but they were um, they were more entertaining than most people's, which um, I mean, we we got readers because of me, but it was mostly either parodies or just nonsense articles. I wrote one article saying there hadn't been enough fights that year yet. So people needed to <laughs> step it up. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I, after I got out of the army, I moved back there very, very briefly. That's where I started doing standup. Okay. Um, I, I started doing standup three weeks out from, like I got out of the army in late September And mid-October, I did my first open mic because a guy that I went to high school with told me I should. Um, We'd been to the open mic at Memphis on Main, uh, and I saw the mic, I thought it was really funny, we were walking back to the car, and I told him just a couple of really dark army stories, Mm. and I told them in what I viewed as a humorous way— therapist would say in a coping mechanisms way uh and so he told me i should do the open mic and the next week i got up and i tanked real bad it was it was really bad Mm. because it turns out a room full of non-veterans doesn't laugh at jokes where the punchline is someone dying and me saying oh well that's what god wanted
0: no that's interesting yeah yeah no that almost reminds me uh if you read any tim o'brien books at all i have not uh, he wrote, oh goodness gracious, I'm embarrassed, I don't remember this off the top of my head. He he's he was a, a Vietnam veteran, and he wrote very thinly veiled memoirs, but but uh, novels about his time. Uh, the Things They Carried, I think, is his most famous. Oh, then, yeah,
1: yeah, I've read that. I, okay. I did but, not uh, remember the, thing, the name, but I've definitely read that yeah. book.
0: Anyway, uh, there was a story in that book where uh, they called it The Tree of the lemon tree but it was because a guy named lemon got blown up and his body was like in the tree and so they called it you know it's like yeah. but that's the dark like you know black gallows humor that i'm sure arises in you know situations like that you know and yeah, people really when you does, go home it's... aren't going to necessarily think that's a funny joke you know no like
1: the first joke that i told was just the story of someone dying in a freak accident and my punchline mm. was i'm just saying that means god wanted you dead mm-hmm. and Right. Everybody just stared at me uncomfortably, which now that I'm further away from it and have had some therapy, I recognize is the normal response <laughs> to that kind of story. Uh, but like I've told that story since then when I've done benefit shows and the veterans find it hysterical. No. Um, yeah. Because sure. now I'm just better at picking my audience for stories like that.
0: Absolutely. So uh, while you were, well, I guess going back, uh, what made you want to join the Army in the first place, I guess?
1: Uh, I joined the Army because of September 11th. Um, mm-hmm. It September 11th was my junior year in high school, and uh, it just—I wanted to make a difference. I was very, very idealistic. I was the poster child for someone who should join the Army. Uh, I— was a smart kid, but I was unmotivated. I was getting in trouble, I was selling drugs, I was scrawny, and then I rightly or wrongly wanted to be part of something bigger than myself and wanted to, wanted to change the world. And obviously it's not as blindingly altruistic and amazing as that, but that was what I thought as a kid. And it, it was enough to get me in. How did that hold up over time? <laughs> <laughs> um, this uh, this still has listeners in, um, in Indiana, so I'm not going to go into my full rant. But um, <laughs> I will say that uh, the idealism faded very quickly. I think that there are a lot of things that I did That I am proud of. There's some things that I'm not, but there are people who are alive right now who probably wouldn't be if I hadn't been there. And Mm. that's the lens that I choose to look at it through um, to not go crazy thinking about the politics of the Iraq war and all of the craziness with contractors and should we or shouldn't we have been there and all that. I try, I'm willing to have those conversations, but. From the personal side of it, I just try to focus on. I did do some good things over there.
2: Mm.
0: So how? What years to what years, and how long, and and where? What were the
1: specifics of it? So I enlisted in uh, January of 2005. Okay. Uh, turned 20 during basic training. Graduated from basic in uh, early May and went off. I was uh, an interrogator in the army, so I went to interrogation school from there in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And by December of 2005, I was in Iraq. Uh, And I was in Mosul and Baghdad. And then after getting back from Mosul and Baghdad, they sent me down to Monterey, California to learn Arabic because, you know, you should definitely learn the language after you're done being there twice. Um, And I re-enlisted in Monterey because the Defense Language Institute is paradise. Like, Monterey, California is where I want to go if I ever grow up. Like, it is... (laughs) It's never colder than 60. It's never hotter than 80. You can go on Fisherman's Wharf and just watch the otters and the seals play in the water. If you like golf, Pebble Beach golf course is right there. There's amazing food. It is paradise. And I was in a school environment rather than a traditional army environment. So I was going to school and living in paradise... So, obviously, I wanted to keep that going, so I re-enlisted, and then I, they sent me to El Paso, Texas, mm. um, and I don't know how much time you've spent in Texas, but it's not as great as Monterey, California. <laughs> uh, there are there are zero honors playing <laughs> on, the, on the border with Juarez. Right. Uh, and when I was there, that was when some of the injuries that I had sustained in uh, Mosul were made more obvious because I was back doing regular army stuff instead of just in school. Mm -hmm. And so after a series of doctor's appointments, I was a medical discharge uh, towards the end of 2008. So I was planning on doing 20 years, and instead I did just under four. Mm. And that... That I mean, that'll put you in a bad place. <laughs> like the Sure. You know, I mean you that's your whole identity that's gone, right? I mean That's I, a good way of putting it. Like it is yeah. when you're in the military, it becomes your entire identity or you're miserable. Like there's there's not another way to do it. Once you get out, there's a few ways it can go, but while you're in, it has to be every part of who you are. Mm-hmm. But, um, so you're
0: in the army you're 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 in it are you are you telling jokes while all this is happening? Are you thinking of jokes are you <laughs> I, does anyone else know you that you want to be funny like like what's what's going on?
1: I was definitely a jokes guy. I watched a lot of stand up um and I told a lot of jokes. I remember while I was in Mosul, I wrote rather than sending individual emails and individual letters, because I didn't have that kind of time, I put out what I called a newsletter and I just sent that to everybody Hmm. um, who wanted it. And the first one that I wrote, I was very honest about what was happening and they did not want that. Um, They thought they wanted that. They did not want to hear the actual details, even though that's what they thought. So I started glossing over a lot of the details I would give, some stuff like oh man it's really hot and the food sucks but i would leave out the well you know we got bombed again this week that 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 makes four times and it's wednesday uh Mm -hmm. and i started adding in jokes to offset the unpleasant stuff because i didn't want my family and my friends worrying about me i'm not good at being worried about Mm -hmm. and so i I channeled a lot of the old school paper and uh, speech team stuff for that, but I still wasn't getting onto a stage. I I liked making people laugh. I liked entertaining people, but I still wasn't on a stage. So you did not go on a USO tour during your service? (laughs) I saw some really great USO stuff. Oh, yeah. I I was shocked to find out how much I enjoyed Carrot Top. Nice. Like, prop comedy gets a really bad rap, but (laughs) Carrot Top puts in the work and is incredibly clever and fun.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I also was lucky enough to see uh, Toby Keith. I did not see Jody Messina because I didn't uh, didn't really know any of her music at the time. And then I met the Patriots cheerleaders and didn't care because, yeah, they were pretty, (laughs) but it was the Patriots. Uh, (laughs) So that kind of killed it for you. I wouldn't say it killed it because it was nice to see pretty girls that didn't have six months of Middle East dust on them, but it would have been nicer to see a team that I liked.
0: (laughs) Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, All right. So you've got these experiences. uh, You, you have now an outlet, even if maybe people aren't ready to hear the the gory details. Um, How do you, Developed from there because it sounds like you you might have you might have fell on your not not on your face it, maybe it was just the wrong they weren't ready to hear that or in that way or I don't know whatever or maybe you know any number of things but what
1: where does it go from there? Well, what I what I know now looking back at that first time it was a real cross section because they weren't the right audience but also I wasn't a good enough comic to tell those kinds of jokes yet hmm. uh, because I'm. Now I talk about the army, and I don't necessarily go into uh, that much like explicit detail about deaths, but I, I do talk about the fact that I have PTSD, and uh, I'll talk about walking with a limp. Uh, so I'm, I'm a better comic now, so I'm better able to write and tell the jokes that could make someone a little bit uh, squirmy, mm-hmm. but finding the right audience is also important, and So I, I just, I went to a lot of shows. I remember when I first moved to the Bay, I went to Annie's social club and unfortunately it's not there anymore. It was this super gritty, cool punk rock club. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like it was one of the stops for the Folsom Street Fair. Like it was, it was gritty and they had a back room that was just plastered with Betty Page postcards. And this room it was one hundred percent I was never there when it wasn't for comedy, but it was definitely used as like a mini strip club when it wasn't there for comedy because there were mirrors that uh i've abs- i've I've heard about having having as a child of god, I've never been into a strip club obviously um, <laughs> but they had the the mirrors on the back That this little stage that had a very suspicious hookup in the middle of it that we had to dodge around that looked like it was for a poll. And the room only held about 20 people. But this Tuesday night mic was incredibly popular. And so my first, my first week in California, I went to this open mic, and I went 41st out of 43 comics. Mm. And the only people in the room were the two guys going after me, the host and my dad. Mm-hmm. And it just it was great to start immersing myself in comedy to get to be around great comics. There was just amazing clubs all over the Bay Area that I got to go to. And once people start to recognize that you're a comic, you don't have to pay as much Like for the for the A-lister shows. You're definitely paying. But for uh, local shows and even some of the lower tier headliners, they'll just let you in because they want to fill out the audience. Mm-hmm. And so I just got to see amazing comedy and start meeting cool people to do some writing with, and I learned how I wanted to sound as a comic, just from from being in the culture of it. And it was it was pretty great. Looking back on it now, it was there's a lot of uh, a lot of BS to the business side of comedy, and I was new enough that I wasn't exposed to any of that yet, so I could really just enjoy. The fun of comedy.
2: Hmm.
0: Um.
1: Well, you mentioned you had uh, PTSD. How
0: does that manifest itself, and how does that affect being on stage? Uh,
1: well, I've gotten a lot better over the years, but I still, uh, I still have nightmares, still very vivid dreams. I'm still don't have a uh, a great startle response. It's pretty aggressive. Um. Uh, I think. One of the more unpleasant experiences was uh, two years ago, I was doing shows and fireworks started as I walked on the stage. Mm. And if I know fireworks are coming, then I can sort of brace myself for it. I still would prefer uh, to not be around them. I remember there was a Fourth of July several years ago that I was over at Lauren and Marty's house and I just hung out with their dog. (laughs) Uh, We just sat on the couch. Everybody else was outside looking at the fireworks and the dog and I just hung out on the couch and it was was much better for me. But when I don't know there's going to be fireworks, it is rough. And Mm -hmm. I gave, like, the set went okay, but it was very on autopilot. I've been doing things, I've been doing this long enough that I can kind of just roll with it. But it didn't feel good. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. It felt very it felt very frantic. And so I gave mm-hmm. a much slower, much slower, more aggressive set than I usually do because I was just kind of trying to work out my own brain during it mm-hmm. um, But how are you, I guess, over time,
0: I'm sure you still have things you want to talk about that might be difficult for people to hear. But have you maybe found a different way of communicating those things as time has gone on? Oh, definitely, definitely. I, like,
1: like I said earlier, I'm a better comic now than I was then. Uh-huh. So I'm better at pacing it properly so I'm not overloading heavy stuff all at once. Um, and I'm better at managing the payoff. Because mm-hmm. the first joke I told is the story of someone dying, and I'm just saying that means God wanted you dead, is not enough of a punchline for that kind of a story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now, if I'm telling a story about just being in Iraq, or like, I remember there's a joke that I tell about uh, waterboarding somebody. It was an ex-girlfriend, she asked for it, it was a very weird experience. Um, but like, that is a really uncomfortable story to tell for myself, for the audience, especially women who've been through some shit. Mm-hmm. They, that's not a pleasant topic, but I've workshopped the joke enough. I've done enough work and I've become a good enough comic that the payoff on the end of it is worth it. So it's, it's a combination of knowing how to tell the joke and how to write a good enough punchline that lets me get to less pleasant topics.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um but okay, so you're you're in California, uh you're you're telling jokes on stage, uh and then what happens next?
1: Well, I got to a point where this was what I wanted to do. I mm-hmm. I wanted to make a go of it, but California is, I mean, it's expensive. It's expensive to all get out. No kidding.
0: No kidding. No, I mean, where I lived in Ukiah used to be the cheap place if you wanted to live near the bay. But not live in the bay and now it's like it's as much as like the north bay and it's like i can't oh, even yeah. see the bay from here and it's like i have to drive an hour to get to target in santa
1: rosa and it's like <laughs> it's <laughs> i'm still paying <laughs> like i was paying 800 bucks a month for a studio um, apartment in a bad neighborhood and i was lucky that it cost that little yeah, uh exactly. like i was i was making almost fifty thousand dollars a year and i was living paycheck to paycheck and so when you're doing that it's it's hard to go on the road, and you're not making money on shows in California. That's not entirely true. In, in the Bay, you're not making money on shows unless you are an A-lister, because there are so many A-listers that are coming in, and then there's also so many new people that are willing to do it for free, mm-hmm. that as a middle act, it is very, very difficult to make any money. So, mm-hmm. I... I made plans. I went on Craigslist and found an apartment and I found a job and I moved back initially to Champaign, but I was only in Champaign for about a month and a half before I linked up uh, with the comedy club owner in Kokomo. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that seemed like an amazing opportunity. I had never heard of Kokomo before except for Mm -hmm. uh, the song, And that is obviously not this place. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
0: Nope. John Stamos
1: lied to us. (laughs) So I just i i moved here with a couple bags of clothes and almost nothing else. And it hasn't all been great, but overall it hasn't been a bad experience. I've met some really great contacts and Kokomo is a perfect central location for me to be able to travel from. I am less than four hours away from five major markets. Mm-hmm. And so I can go on the road, I can still interact with amazing comedians, and it just it's much, much less expensive than California.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I uh, I I know the comedy club you mean downtown. Now I, I remember it was like how long was it
1: open for? It was open for less than a year. So it was open from the second week of June of 2014. Okay. Until February of
2: 2015.
1: Hmm. And Kokomo, it is. It did not shut down in any way because of Kokomo. Kokomo was incredibly supportive. Uh huh. We. We definitely had a few dud weekends. But I think during my time there, if I quit in January. I was there mm-hmm. from January to, or from June 25th until mid-January. And we had a couple of nights that we had to cancel the show because there weren't enough people. But overall, we had incredibly supportive crowds, even for the not-celebrities, because obviously Donnie Baker weekend sold out. Uh, Jamie Kennedy weekend sold out but we had bt come through a couple of times chris bowers came through a couple of times very very funny guys but not a list headliners and we mm-hmm. still had great turnout mm-hmm. so it it definitely didn't shut down because of kokomo it shut down because of the leadership from the very top
2: mm.
0: okay yeah i was i was interested to see it the the problem with me was you weren't I, had. Nights. <laughs> I worked baby. And you had a baby. And I had a ba- yeah, you, was, you took the words right out of, out of my mouth. <laughs> this is like the two not most conducive things. To, and I love stand-up comedy. I would have loved to see it. And I was like, hey, look, Bill Hicks and George Carlin are on the outside of this building. I, I want to go in there sometime. And then I was like, hey, wait a second. It's closing now. <laughs> I didn't get yeah. a chance to go in. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. It was a flash in the pan that deserved deserved more from its leadership because Kokomo, Kokomo did its part. Mm -hmm. all right the town definitely did its part to keep that club alive because there's not a lot to do in this town the one the one major fault that i find with kokomo is there is not a lot to do that during the evenings that is not centered around drinking right and you're going to drink at the comedy club but that's not the point like you drink at the comedy club as almost like a tax for seeing the show and like there's some people that get just wrecked and those people ruin shows, but like we we, the sweet spot for a comedy club if you can handle having five drinks without making an ass of yourself, then the comedy <laughs> club loves you, because they want you to buy those five drinks. But most people they have those five drinks and then they ruin the show. Mm-hmm. But people would come out people people were ready to have a great time because in Kokomo, especially then like, Kokomo had. So many strip clubs when I moved here. (laughs) I think there were seven strip clubs in a town of 50,000 people. (laughs) And so there was very little to do at night in Kokomo other than go to a strip club or go to a bar and hear a cover band play Here I Go Again by Whitesnake the exact same way as seven other cover bands in town. (laughs) So the town was super ready for this club and... It just, it didn't work out, and that Mm. is very disappointing.
0: Would you ever start another comedy club on your own?
1: I would love to be the entertainment manager of a comedy club. Being the bar manager takes too much away from doing my own stand-up. Because when I was, as the bar manager, I was also bartending, which meant that I had to be there every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. And I can't really go on the road and be successful if the three prime days for comedy, I have to be behind the bar of my own club. Mm -hmm. I definitely, for where I was in my comedy career at the time, it was perfect because Mm -hmm. I made a lot of great contacts. I was able to do guest sets. Uh, One of the headliners that we had, Chris Shaw, super funny guy, was the first headliner to ever take me on the road with him. And I wouldn't have gotten that contact if I hadn't been the bar manager of this club. So for where I was in my career, it was the right moment in time. But now Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that again. I would happily uh, be the guy who books the comedians and makes sure that the contracts are honored and the writers are honored. But I would never want to have to be there all the time again.
0: Right. Um, Okay. but so you're doing you know more comedy more places i assume you're getting in front of bigger audiences now oh yeah uh, than, than you have been before <laughs> oh well yeah that's <laughs> hopefully um and then pandemic time so <laughs> yeah. how's that going <laughs>
1: oh it's, it's, it's super never been happier um, right <laughs> i'm loving it personally <laughs> so i i got very lucky in my non-comedy career because I had decided to go back to school Mm. right as rumors of COVID were starting. Okay. Um, Like we were hearing about stuff in China and there were fears and then there was the cruise ship, but there were, there were no cases in America, even though there were absolutely cases in America, we just didn't Mm. know it yet. And I decided that I wanted to stop working jobs that even if I liked the job, I wasn't passionate about. And so I signed up to go back to school. I found out about a program for disabled veterans that was going to take care of me. And so I signed up, I found out all all the transfer credits I had from when I failed at college before. And I planned to start in the summer of 2020 and then the world shut down. Mm -hmm. And, It verified that my decision to go back to school was right, but it also, I lost a lot of work. Um, There was a club that I was supposed to feature at March 13th and 14th. Ouch. And obviously that didn't happen. And then Mm -hmm. uh, the Drop Comedy Club in South Bend is the first place I ever headlined. Uh, I recorded my album there, and I was supposed to be there again in November and then laughs comedy cafe in Tucson was going to have me come out for essentially an audition weekend for feature work laughs comedy cafe in Tucson. I did a lot of open mics there back in the day. I've got a bunch of friends in Tucson still. So I was happy to go out there and just host for a weekend and work towards paid feature work there. And then countless other one nighters that fell through, Mm. um, And then Zoom started happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a couple of comics started doing some shows on Zoom. And then the Drop Comedy Club started running an open mic on Zoom. And then Facebook groups started to crop up with people from all over the world, like, just trying to put shows together and it it's not the same but it is frequently better than it has any right to be i did my album release show i did over zoom and i got to have comics who i loved from when i lived in california on the same lineup as comics from chicago and i was hosting and i had uh, my buddy Che Guerrero out of Philadelphia got to be on the show. So just lineups have sprung up that could never have been done without Zoom stepping up to mm. do this. And it, like I said, it's not the same because you're not getting as many people in a small contained space all together laughing and feeling that energy, but you can still put together some great shows. And as long as you help, the audience understand what's expected of them, they will leave their microphones on and they'll laugh. I'm doing a show on the 24th, a virtual show, and I'm going to be streaming it on my Facebook comedy page, but I'm putting about 20 audience members in the Zoom room also, so we've got laughter happening. And it, the world changed, but that doesn't mean it's bad. You just have to figure out how to evolve with it.
0: But, okay, so you do you all do you always leave the mics on for people to
1: laugh? So, what I do, I'm very careful about who I let in the room um, with their mics on. Like if someone has small kids, then I don't let them in the zoom room for that show. I direct them to the Facebook page where they can watch it over live. So if the kids come running in and screaming, they can still watch the show. No one's saying we don't want people with kids, but if there's the chance of crazy surprise noise, we should put somebody else in that spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I usually, I don't make people turn their cameras on because people get a little bit shy about that, but I direct the people who are specifically going to be in the room to have their microphones on, to make sure that there's still some of that instant gratification immediate response that comedians crave and so we know that our jokes are working
0: mm-hmm. well that's the difference uh between uh old sitcoms and yeah. now it's like unless it's like intentionally trying to be that way it's not like that's expected you know what i mean but i feel like before they're like but how will people know when it's funny to to laugh, they have to hear other people laughing. Otherwise they'll be like, I don't know what to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like that was definitely a, an obstacle early on, but now we're a year in. And if there are still people that I see in these Facebook comedy groups raging about how zoom shows are terrible and it's not Mm -hmm. the same. And like I said, it's not identical, but it's similar enough. In all, in good ways and bad. I did a show on February thirteenth, and there was a guy who just told a uncomfortably long erotic poem, and you don't you don't get that except at a comedy open mic, and that that could have easily been live because he wasn't getting a response even live, uh, and so it, it's not always a good thing, but. Often enough, it is a good thing. I got Sammy O'Bade, who is one of the funniest humans I have ever met. Um, I'm lucky enough to call him a friend, but he's just a brilliantly funny comic. He has the Netflix show 100 Humans. He's got the world record for most consecutive nights doing stand-up. And I haven't seen him in person in seven years, but I've gotten to do shows with him now. Mm. So... Even if it's not the same, it it can still be really good. And people who are not picking up on that, they're going to come in once the world fully reopens. They're going to come into this with a year or more of dust to knock off. Whereas mm-hmm. comics like me, like Sammy, uh, like lots of comics who have done the drop or any of these other... The, Joe Gorman from New York runs uh, a two-times-a-week Zoom open mic... And people that are doing that will not have nearly that kind of dust. There will be some awkwardness being on stage again and realizing that you can't turn your mic off when you want to pick your nose. But <laughs> like there will still be much less of a painful return to form for the people who've been working at it. And so while technology isn't a perfect solution, it's been a really good addition.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't mute uh, heckler in real life, so that's kind of fun. So. That's very true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I haven't, frankly, I haven't actually attended one of these Zoom shows. I I've been a little hesitant, to be honest. I I am such a fan of stand up comedy as a format. It's just, yeah, you know, like you said, it's different, and I'm I'm sure it it's fine because you still get to work out material, and uh, you know, you you get to see what works and what doesn't. Um, You know, and I'm still I'm sure that when things do start opening up, hopefully in a few months here or a year or whatever, uh, that like you said, you're going to hit the round running and people won't you won't be out of shape. You know,
1: oh, yeah, I've written several jokes during this and some are good and some are not. But that's normal. Like there Mm -hmm. there have been jokes that I've done on a couple of Zoom mics that, I recognize just from the way I phrased them are not where they need to be for me to be telling them on shows for money. But there have been some that I've been able to workshop, and I really like where they've gotten. So comics should still be working, even if there's not the same kind of money. The The art form hasn't changed.
0: Mm-hmm. But, um. so, how do you think... This is going to happen in the future, though, because now that we've opened up all these uh, avenues that we didn't have before, how is that going to happen when we can go into these places? But will people necessarily want to or are I I don't know. So I bet some people are just going to do Zoom shows even when they can do normal open. You know what I mean? Out, out, Out in the world again, you know, and like a lot of the thing about like movie distribution, I think. It's changing now, but how much of that is permanent? You know what I mean? Once they figure out they can just beam it into your house, are they really going to try to get it into every theater? It'll probably just be like the same five superhero movies then. <laughs> Not like it isn't already, but... With movies... With
1: movies, I think they're definitely going to... Like, I think that independent theaters are screwed. But the the big theaters will still show the movies because the the distribution companies, unless HBO is spending a billion dollars, Marvel is still going to mm. try to put the movie into theaters because, like, these movies are billion-dollar films and HBO Max is not spending a billion dollars to get no. Avengers 5. No. Uh, with comedy, there are some people who are definitely going to... Uh, to keep doing it this way some places are going to do both i know that the drop is they're moving their digital open mic over to mondays so they can have their in-person open mic on tuesdays the drop is reopening uh this weekend with limited uh with limited seating so places are trying as cases start to drop and the vaccine rollout happens they're trying to reopen Mm. uh and so some places i think some places will go strictly Strictly digital still, but I think that a lot of places will try to do both. Uh, if they can spend the money on the multimedia, they might even have a Zoom room for their live shows mm. so that uh, they can stream it for the people that don't want to or can't be there. As Because a, a professional Zoom subscription costs, what, like $20? bucks. mm hmm So if they can for $20 generate even 10 more tickets sold a month, like they've paid for that. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of the bigger venues like the punchline in San Francisco or the comedy store, the improv start doing that um, as just an added way to get people in the seats who can't or aren't willing to, to go there yet Mm -hmm. with school. This was a, Something that I think is the first time it's ever happened. But I convinced a group of people that we didn't need to have meetings anymore. We could just do this by email. Uh, oh my
0: gosh! Yeah, this meeting was could amazing. have been an email. It was <laughs> the title amazing. of my autobiography for years, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and like it's it's also been interesting because to just I'm going to make a blanket statement here and will caveat it up front with, obviously, I know that I'm making a blanket statement and not all people, blah, blah, blah. But it's been kind of nice to be able to, when I do have to go out, know who the assholes are because they're the ones not wearing a mask at the grocery store. Mm. Like that's – it's nice to know just on site who I don't want to talk to without it being Mm. a problematic statement. Like yeah. To just to see the guy in the hat that we all know which hat and no mask to just to on site know this guy probably doesn't have anything to say that I want to hear. And when he does say it, he's going to be standing way too close to me. Uh, (laughs) It's it's nice to be able to avoid people on site and not have that be a problematic thing to say. (laughs)
0: I'm never gonna shake another person's hand in my life. I'm I'm so done with that. I was done. With that. I was done, I was done with
1: that before, but now I'm like, yes, we're finally we've killed it. We've 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 slayed the beast. If I don't know someone well enough to hug them, they are getting a fist stop, bump or a wave.
0: Stop touching me, like just, right?
1: you're, I need the six feet before
0: this. I'm gonna need at least ten going forward. Oh, absolutely. I, I,
1: you just you get a megaphone to talk to any strangers that you need to
0: see. Exactly. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. But, um, well,
1: that I That mean, actually I... has will will change things for comedy, though, a lot, because mm. a lot of us make more money on merch sales than we make on the show itself. So figuring out a safe way for me to sell my album after a show and to sell my shirts after a show is the one major change that I have to figure out how to make.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the music business in a lot of ways. That's, that's 100%. a lot of the, you know, that's a lot of the revenue at this point. Obviously the music has uh, been, you know, that that's been taken away except for vinyl, I guess, um, and streaming to a certain degree, but I don't, I don't know how much that, that really gives anybody, but, you know, I, I think it's that physical thing, like, for example, like I just got into the band Arctic Monkeys like oh, the last great. couple of weeks. Holy crap! I don't know how I missed it. I lived in England in 2005 when I was student teaching. I don't know how this happened to me. I, I, I it somehow completely passed me by. Um, but I'm just like diving headfirst into that. But I, I mean, maybe I'll buy some vinyl eventually. But like, I'm not gonna probably buy any of their albums for a while. I will, however, probably when I get my taxes back, buy a T-shirt. You know what I mean. <laughs> right. I'll buy Arctic monkey t-shirt, but you know, like I'm probably not going to, you know, I, I have, you know, Spotify and Apple or uh, Amazon music and, you know, I have ways to listen to their music right now that, that are fine. But, like I and I will I want to like support the band or whatever, but like I don't need a CD right now, necess- I, I my car has a CD player, I think I think it works. I, I actually couldn't say if it works, honestly. <laughs> I listen to things constantly, but I couldn't say if my CD player works, you know what I mean. Um, and I used to listen to countless CDs. I had five books of CDs I'd drive to school with. I would be like oh, 20 minutes books. to get out of the driveway <laughs> to pick up the right burn CD. You know what I
1: mean? like <laughs> I do I do I found out. That my CD player in my car does not work. Um, oh boy! I found that you have, out. You have an aux
0: cable at least. <laughs> I don't.
1: What I do oh. is I've got um, a Bluetooth speaker that I okay. just keep in my car. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I found out that the CD player doesn't work when mm. I went to Half Price Books in Indianapolis and I bought I bought two CDs and I was so excited. I got in the car. I was I was amped. I bought. Uh, Prince's, or he was the artist at the time, the album that had Raven to the Joy Fantastic on it. Nice. And I bought Miley Cyrus's album, Bangers. And Mm. I was so excited and then just heartbroken that I couldn't get my CD player to work. Mm. So I mean, then I just listened to the albums on Apple Music on my phone the way I had been doing anyway. But it was still, I would have been more mad if I'd paid full price for them, but I think I paid Mm -hmm. $8 for both. (laughs) it was still very disappointing
0: right 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 no but i've been listening to more vinyl and stuff but yeah no in the car it's usually aux cable or or bluetooth honestly but um well that's that's great man thanks thanks for taking so much i've taken almost an hour of your of your time here i appreciate you uh spending so much of your evening with me um but uh Yeah, Uh, so that leads into my final question that I always ask. uh, What music have
1: you been listening to lately? Uh, Well, I am a just devoted Miley Cyrus fan, specifically Hannah Montana Mm. era. Interesting. Uh, I enjoy everything Miley's done, but Hannah Montana era Miley, because I, I try to listen to a lot of just hyper upbeat pop music because the world's on fire and <laughs> the the army pounded into us that you fake it till you make it. So I figure if I just listen to a bunch of just crazy upbeat pop music like your S Club Seven, uh Early Britney, that kind of stuff, I can Oh, did you I see that hopefully... Britney documentary thing? Oh the my god, Finger that was thing? That, that was, was crazy, man. man. I just I, I try I do the same thing with movies where I primarily will watch Comedies, unless there's something specific that I'm looking for, just because there's enough unpleasantness organically in the world Mm -hmm. that I want to try to change my own mindset away from looking at the negative. And it does not always work, but I can't imagine how negatively my mindset would be if I was always listening to like Amata Marth and hyper aggressive other music and watching war documentaries (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i can't i can't imagine that's very therapeutic but um <laughs> well that's cool but how did you feel about was now was the um bangers era of miley was that the uh hip-hop era or was
1: that yes, the that okay. album interesting actually that was that the 23
0: have, with mike will and uh, juicy j am i thinking
1: of that uh, that al that song's not on the album but oh, that is, is that era simple. okay uh, gotcha. That album has a song with Nelly that is way better than it deserves to be. Mm. Like I, I saw his name on there and thought it was just going to be ridiculous, and it's a great song. Um, it's also got a song with Britney on there. Like the whole album's fun, and that's that's later than Hannah, but it's a very it's a very fun album, very upbeat.
2: Mm.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, how do you feel about the older Cyrus?
1: I think she's incredibly talented. I really, really enjoyed... Wait, she? Mia. I'm talking oh, about Billy Ray. Billie Ray, sorry. I, I thought she, you meant like... Is it, she have an older sister? I thought you meant like as she's gotten older. I apologize. Billy oh. Ray... <laughs> you were still talking about Miley's career. No, no Ray was talking is, about Billy Ray. <laughs> I, I unironically enjoy Achy Breaky Heart, but my favorite thing that Billy Ray has ever done, at least once every six months... I will just need to remind myself that sometimes all it takes is one moment, one just lucky, lucky moment to make a hit. And there is a rapper called Buck 22 mm. who did a song called Aiky Breaky 2, where he sampled Aiky Breaky Heart. And that song is the worst song I've ever heard. <laughs> it is so bad. And, Buck 22. Made a bunch of money off of it. Billy Ray Cyrus was in the video. And one of the lines is, I'd rather be lucky than good. And like, yeah, you nailed it. You nailed mm-hmm. it. So at least once every six months, I will listen to that song. And I will also watch Airbud 2 Golden Receiver <laughs> to just remind myself that it doesn't take much. It just takes one just lucky moment to make your career Oh, absolutely. And it has nothing
0: to do with quality. <laughs> well, of, course not. of course not. You can just be
1: the right moment in time absolutely. and get completely famous. Oh, you, sure. The right moment in time and you can be Jeff Dunham. Like, Doesn't <laughs> matter. Wait a minute. you got to work for
0: years to be Jeff Dunham. <laughs> do you, though? That's, that's opportunity meets preparation. <laughs> right there. Uh that's hilarious but uh well hey uh thanks for coming on and uh yeah uh i'll be looking out for for what you're doing maybe i'll come see you in in person uh once uh we're on uh, the after of the world uh that after would be world, fantastic man vaccinated or whatever but um yeah uh thanks thanks so much and uh, have a great rest of your night
1: you do the same it was a lot of fun great bye-bye
0: Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to the Rob Burgess Show at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.